Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? So good. Hey, we, we serve a God who answers prayers, eh? We serve a God who answers prayers. I, um, I've been amazed by the faithfulness of God over the past couple of weeks. A few weeks ago, I was talking about how I was so sick and tired of the All Blacks winning every single game, and I just wanted him to turn the tables again, and Lord, thank you. You've delivered, and uh, enough. We get it. We get it. We get it. We get it, you, you've come through on that, and, and we're, we're keen for another decade of dominance uh, from now on, so lead us through that. No, it's good to be here. Um, I, unlike Vic, haven't preached through uh, World Cup losses and that kind of stuff, but I think we'll be fine. Like, we, all, we always love an underdog, so how good is it for Los Pumas? How do you say it? Los Pumas? Los, I butchered that. The Argentinians, they won, so good on them, and... Poor Ian Foster. Um, it's, good to be, it's good to be here. Today we're wrapping up, uh, I'm Tim if you don't know, we're wrapping up our series Think Again where we've been kind of looking at uh, unpacking how we find belonging and, and how our beliefs are shaped and how that influences our behavior. And we've been looking at this through the lens of one of Jesus' most famous, well-loved parables, the story of the lost son. And um, the basis of the series has been that where we find our sense of belonging or the voices that we listen to, um, they shape our beliefs like, quite strongly. They, so we're, the voices we listen to shape what we hear, you know, the beliefs that we hear. And then from that, our behavior kind of like comes out of our belonging and beliefs. And I thought, probably should have done this on the first week because it's a really helpful, helpful image. It's um, an iceberg. So tip of the iceberg, that's, I drew that. That's good. You get that it's an iceberg, eh? Um, our behavior is just the external realities which everyone can see and which we live out. But beneath that are so many things underneath, like where we find belonging, where we find our place, and the beliefs that we carry. You know, So an interesting thing is if you want to work out what where you find your belonging or your beliefs and you haven't thought about this, look at what your behavior is. Like They say that if you want to see what guides your life, if you want to see what idol or what gods you're serving, look at your, look at your calendar and look at your bank balance and your bank statements. Those are behaviors that reveal what's going on internally. And the reason we're talking about this is that in the past... Churches have often demanded that we, we behave first. You, you, you do the right things, you don't say the wrong things, and then you can come to believe the right things, and then from there, then you can sign the membership pledge, you can tick the right boxes, and then you can belong, right? Um, that's how a lot of religious transformations been assumed that happens. You behave, then you believe, then you belong. And in many ways, I think this has actually revealed the God that's believed in those theologies, that actually God too demands that we behave correctly, then we can come believe the right things about God, and then we can belong and be loved by God. And I personally find this image or understanding of God quite distressing, because for myself, my understanding of God is shaped by who I see in Jesus of Nazareth, that Jesus comes to be the face of God and reveal God's heart with much more clarity than any other word. So even when you look back in Scripture, you've got the laws, you've got all these encounters. But as Christians, we see that the center part of our theology, the center part of our understanding of God in the 
universal bigness is actually the face of Jesus Christ. That's, that's for me, what it means to be a Christian, is to see Jesus and then see what God is like. And um, as Raw says, which I find so beautifully, Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. He came to change our mind about God. That's a typo. Our mind, our mind about God. He said it much more eloquently than I've just... <laughs> there weren't quotation marks, so it's a summary. No. Um, so Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us, but he came to change our mind about God. Because all throughout human history, every culture, every ethnicity, we've all wondered what holds reality together. You know, we've all come up with our conceptions of God's, whether it's the Roman pantheon, whether it's um, Judaism, whether it's Islam, whether it's uh, your indigenous spiritualities. We all wonder what holds it together, right? But Jesus in Christian theology comes to show us what the character and personality and heart of this thing that holds reality together looks like in embodied form. And I love what he says as well. God doesn't ask us to change so he can love us. He loves us so we can change, which recognizes that so much of the behaviors that we do actually reflects where we find our sense of meaning, connection, and purpose. And from a place of unconditional love, we're encouraged to be able to make the changes that we need to do, which is the story of the lost son through and through. Today... We're up to behavior. We're looking at that behavior part. And behavior is an interesting word because it comes with a lot of connotations. So I thought I'd otherwise call it, how do we live our lives? What do we actually practically live? If we get 80, 85 years on this planet, if we're lucky, what do we fill our days with? What are our practical decisions in terms of what we live? And I thought I'd do it around this question, what does it mean to be a Christian? This, I think, seems like a simple question, but the longer I've gone on, the more complicated I've found the answer to be. And there's times, I mean, maybe you look overseas at certain things, and it's like, well, if that's what a Christian is, though, I don't know if I can call myself one, <laughs> which is a weird thing to be, especially when you're a professional version of one, right? As a, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I think it's a really interesting kind of question. What does it mean to be a Christian? I... Um, is it where we find our belonging? Is it where we, we come along to a church and then we're a Christian? As the great philosopher Justin Drew Bieber says, just because you're in a garage, it does not make you a car. It's just, that's, that's the wisdom. That's the, these are the great philosophers of our time and age. Our, our future's going to be bright with our youth and young adults. Eh? Um, but the other thing is, if it's not about just saying, I'm in a church, so I'm a Christian. The other thing, is it about beliefs? Is it about, oh, I tick the right beliefs in the right boxes? Cool, uh, awesome. Well, I'm a Christian now because I believe the right things about God. And I think that's how a lot of us uh, have been raised and grown up. And that's fine, except for the fact that the Protestant denomination keeps splitting apart. Now there's 40,000 different denominations and um, so much division around minor details. But like, thank God, thank God that I was born at the exact right moment in time, right geographical location, right ethnicity, right gender, right space and suburb to enter into a church with perfect theology. <laughs> and then I came here. No, no. So, I mean, my, yeah, it shifts, right? Is it beliefs? Is it belonging? I'm not sure, and I'm not sure how far to take it today, but today I want to explore just a few thoughts around what does it mean to be a Christian behaviorally? Like, how do we actually live our lives? And I think a big problem with this is, sadly, as church, we're known far more often around what we're against than what we're for. You know, you see the news cycles, protest marches, you see how we got a bad PR problem, right? Like, it's, it's not like, 
I don't know if anyone's in advertising and marketing, but we need your help. <laughs> no, but the sad thing for me is it's often deserved. Like, it's often a reputation that's deserved. Obviously, um, news outlets and all that kind of stuff, you get more clicks with negative stories. Nobody sees um, the Christmas shop or nobody really sees these kind of things, right? But there's something, there's something wrong. Like in terms of when people see the church, they don't necessarily see the face of Jesus, you know? They don't see um, us living, acting like Christ, you know? And the interesting thing is a lot of people have problems with Christians, but very few people seem to have problems with Jesus, right? So I think there's room to grow within this whole area. And um, I know for myself, when I was young, being a Christian in youth group and, and young adults, so often, and I don't think this is like a willful thing, I don't think we intentionally are like, this is what we'll do. So often, to be a Christian when I was in youth group or growing up was to, it's a list of like five or six behaviors to not do. And yeah, so it's like, don't drink, don't swear, don't have sex with your girlfriend, don't do da 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 and then you're fine, right? Like, has anyone else grown up with this list of behaviors? Nobody says it, but like... But the interesting thing, I, I've got a lot of friends who are married, love them to pieces. I've noticed this working with young adults. As soon as you're married, you can't sin anymore. Like, you actually, like, like unless you sleep with someone else. Like, I, 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 do you know what I mean? But, like, so I've noticed this with my friends or even within myself. Like, faith or following Jesus loses its relevance when you suddenly can't, like, sin anymore with that list of behaviors, right? Which makes me fascinated. Did Jesus come, live, and die, and resurrect so we could avoid a few certain behaviors, or did he come for much more? These are my questions, right? These are my big questions. Because I think that Jesus demonstrated a radically new way of understanding, relating to, and revealing the heart of God to his world. This is what he was about. It wasn't a list of don'ts. It was everything he did was to reveal the heart of God, which we see demonstrated in his parable of the story of the lost son. Everything he did was in accordance to who he understood God the Father to be. He was simply revealing what he knew about God the Father. And we see this in the story of the lost son. There's the famous image. In the story of the lost son, we see two pictures of humanity uh, within the brothers. We see, and they're very familiar to us, we see the younger brother who goes off. He's looking for more. He's searching for more. He's, he's bored with what is, and he just wants to hit that new high, get that new experience, buy that new jet ski, all these kind of things. It's a search for love, acceptance, meaning in places that ultimately won't provide the depth that they promise, right? It's, it's, it's superficial places in which we find a sense of purpose. They work for a time, but then it just fades quite quickly. And we're used to this. This is climbing the corporate ladder. This is getting a new car lease. This is all that kind of stuff. This is the next holiday, the next trip. What's next? What's next? What's next? I can resonate with that one. But at the same point, I can also resonate with the older brother who is working really hard the whole time, working for 40 years to finally retire, you know, who's just busy, busy, busy working, proving. And he never takes the time to just look up and to appreciate what it already is. And both these sons, both these brothers, we can find ourselves in so easily. And as we've looked at the past few weeks, we have the opportunity um, of the younger brother to consider, is my life headed in a direction that's not going to take me where I actually need it to go? Do I need to turn around? Do I need to change some things? We have the opportunity there. But we also have the opportunity of the older brother to just, from the hurry, from the rush, from the busyness, to stop to look up, whether it's in the sky, whether it's over the ocean, wherever it is, when it's in the face of our family, of our kids, and just say thank you and be grateful and appreciate what it already is. These are our opportunities. These are the stories of the brothers and the story of the lost son. 
Today I want to talk about the third character in this, the father. Because the invitation of the story is that we are more like the brothers more often than not, but our invitation is to become like the father, to live our lives and act like the father towards those we come across in our path. See, the story of Jesus reveals the heart of the Father. And in this story, Jesus is sharing more clearly what the Father's heart is like. And this is a Father who stands watching, waiting, hopeful, and in anticipation of those who are in the distance. This is a Father with, upon seeing the youngest son come towards him, runs towards him, losing any form of decorum and dignity runs towards him, abandoning what people will think, runs towards him, abandoning the expectations or the opinions of what will people judge me for. This is a father who runs towards the way with the lost, the outcast, the hurting. And this is a father who, upon the son's return home, silences his reasoning, just stops his reasoning and just embraces him with unconditional love and acceptance. The son's right words or beliefs around why he did what he did or what he's going to do now don't matter to the father. The father stops in mid-sentence and gives him, a, gives him a cuddle. And this is a picture of God that I think is quite unlike the ones that we can so easily present. This is a father who's not defined by what he's against, but by being for love, grace, compassion, joy, and ultimately celebration. There's an invitation here. I think this is what it means to me to be like the Father that Jesus talks about. It's laying our shoulds and who deserves what's down, and it's moving in love and compassion towards those who are lost and hurting. They may be lost and hurting in a foreign land, or they may be sitting to our left and to our right. They may be off in the distance, or they may be as close as a breath in our lungs. This is a love and compassion that is without asterisks. It's without caveats. It's without but this or but this. It's a loving embrace of blessing, of saying you belong here. You always have and you always will. And honoring Henry now, and he says it so beautifully, here's the God I want to believe in, a father who from the beginning of creation has stretched out his arms in merciful blessing, never forcing himself on anyone, but always waiting, never letting his arms drop down in despair, but always hoping that his children will return so he can speak words of love to them and let his tired arms rest on their shoulders, his only desire to bless. Jesus doesn't come to change, our, to change God's mind about us, but he comes to change our mind about God. Jesus' mission is to reveal that from the outset of creation, this is what God has been and it is always like, despite our misunderstandings along the way. So what does it mean to be a Christian? I think my best answer at this point is to be committed to revealing the endlessly loving heart of God like Jesus did. And this is a lot harder, actually. It's a lot harder to do this than to believe the right things. I think when we live this, we realize this will cost us our lives. This will cost us our comforts. This will cost us our certainties. But the thing is about faith is it's not, it's not enough to have a faith that's just worth dying for. You need a faith that's worth living for as well. Is this what we want to fill our lives with, to be about demonstrating this love? 
Jesus' mission was to reveal the heart of God. In Colossians 1 or John, whatever you want to look at, um, there's so many scriptures. Paul says in Colossians 1, I find it beautiful, he Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So God is beyond what we can comprehend, but in his graciousness, he reveals himself in person, personified form in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. We gain a picture of what God's like through Jesus. But the interesting thing here is that in Genesis, humanity itself is to be made in the image of God. So Jesus is simply fulfilling something we were always called to be in the first place. So simultaneously, in the person of Jesus, we see what God's like, and we see what we're called to be like. It's simple. Difficult, but simple. And Jesus reveals the heart and face of God, not just in the story of the lost son, but in his entire life. In Jesus' life, we see the heart of God continually move towards the outsider and the hurting and the oppressed. We see a God who sweeps low to the littlest people and They offer nothing in return. In Jesus' death, we see God reveal himself most clearly as a naked man suffering on a cross. When we talk about God's power, God's uh, glory, this is what glory looks like. It's a God who chooses not to pay this hurt with revenge, but instead offers forgiveness and grace and the benefit of the doubt to those who are persecuting him. For they know not what they do. And in Jesus' resurrection, we see God reveal the simple message that love is stronger than death. That out of the hardest parts of life, out of the depths of sorrow, somehow the DNA, the fabric of reality is God weaves new things out of that which is old. God brings life out of death. In Jesus' resurrection, we see that what we consider full stops, God considers commas. And there's always another day. An interesting thing within Jesus' invitation, he says, follow me, do what I do. Jesus doesn't necessarily say, believe the right things about me. Jesus doesn't necessarily say, sing songs about me. But he says, follow me. Our invitation is to behave like Jesus. It's that simple. I think it's Bill Johnson says, it's, it's, it's difficult, but it is simple. This is the call. I mean, it's a lot easier to talk about changing the world than loving the person right next to you sometimes, right? Like, we can bring up a lot of good plans about changing the nation, but it's hard enough at home sometimes. But this is where it starts. Jesus' mission was to reveal the heart of God. And he calls us to do the exact same thing. As Jesus bears the image of what God's like, he calls us to do the exact same thing wherever we go. And for us today, um, I'm reminded by Shane Claiborne. He he writes a beautiful book, Irresistible Revolution. And he says that the issue for many of us in the West is not that our faith has cost us too much, but it's that it's cost us too little. I think this is a picture of God. I think this is a what to be for that demands and will demand everything from our life. But I think that it's the, this is the pearl of great price, to be for love, to be for grace, to be for generosity, and to be for trust, to trust deeply that regardless of what we think or we think who's in and out, God is weaving all things together and he's reconciling all things to himself. 
And in that, I'd love to offer a benediction in the sense of sending for us as we go about our weeks, as we consider what it means to be for. It's from Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I would love to send you out with this. May you come to know and reveal God's present loving and liking of this world as you follow the ways of Jesus. May you bless and keep all of those you encounter upon the way through words of compassion and gratitude. May your face reveal a love that lights up every room and situation to remind us of a God who is joy and celebration. May you offer grace to all those you'd usually deem an inconvenience in a manner that reminds them that they matter. May your presence usher in an environment of peace that grounds life, understanding the blessing that is here and now. May we reveal the heart of God as we follow in the way of Jesus as we go about our weeks. Amen. Have a great week, guys. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.